0: Just making sure I have the right book here. Um, were, you, were you listening to those words? Did you, did you hear that last verse in particular? Blessed shall be he be who takes your little ones, your babies, your children, and dashes them against the rocks. That should make you uncomfortable. I I mean to to think for a moment that that God would allow such terrible words into his book. I mean, I don't I don't I don't care who you are, right? That the very image of that, right? If you're if you're processing that, if you're thinking about what the psalmist is asking for in those moments, it's it's terrible. And I'm not, I'm not going to try to alleviate that discomfort this morning. I don't think I could even if I tried. I'm not going to try to just explain it all away so we all feel happy and good as we, as we leave this morning. These words should continue to churn in our stomachs. I mean, people, when we... When we study the Bible, when we gather around this book, I mean, well, first of all, I mean, the Bible's not G-rated, right? I don't know if you knew that. I mean, if you spent any time in the Bible at all, it is, it is not G-rated or anything remotely even close. And while we believe together as a church, that this is a divine book, that it's God speaking to us, his inspired word, and yet it is also, it's also very human. Human authors, earthy, very real, and very raw. And then, of course, to make matters even more difficult, we're separated by this psalm in particular by about 25 centuries. I and mean, that's not to say that we've now arrived, right, and we don't have bad thoughts about other people, right, or wish terrible things upon them. But it does mean that we, we don't understand the, the context. We don't know historically what's going on there. And so there is a wide gulf ready for us of misunderstanding. No, I'm not, I'm not gonna make it all go away. Ho- hopefully we'll understand a little bit better, at least be able to process in this context what is going on in this difficult psalm. But if there's, if there's one thing for you to remember this morning, and I realize there's really two, right, because you're not gonna get that image out of your head, okay, so one other thing for you to remember this morning, it's this, God wants your anger. God wants your anger. Your anger, like the psalmist, feels anger. Your anger at, an, at injustice and, and oppression and violence. Your, your anger at the people who have betrayed you or, or abused you or just at the, at the pain and the heartache that we experience in our world. God wants your anger, and I promise you this. He will do better things with your anger than you will. And I, I've got to confess, I... I struggle with anger. I mean, I, I mean that seriously. I, I, I feel like it's always just like, sort of right there under the surface, ready to either sort of bubble up and to spill over in places it shouldn't, or just explode. And it's often over over silly things, right, petty petty things. But sometimes over over big things and important things. And there are times I just don't know what to do with my rage. Kids, did you did you see Inside Out? movie, right? Um, got, a, got a picture of my favorite character uh, in that, that movie here. This is who I identify with. Uh, I mean, if you, if you know this story, right, it all takes place, or essentially takes place inside this girl's mind, and her primary emotions are there talking and having conversation, trying to help her process her life. I mean, it's a, honestly, it's a really brilliant movie. Uh, but this is, this is anger, okay? Um, and I kind of found myself the entire movie sort of rooting for this guy, right? Uh, which probably said some things about me. I, I know that I I deal with anger inside me. And I have a guess. I'm probably not alone here, am I? Now, uh, the trouble is, I think even when we come to a verse like this, a a chapter like this, is that while we clearly, obviously, live in a very angry society, right? I mean, don't, don't be naive. We try to hide it. We pretend it's otherwise. But just, I mean, go to the comments section of any website, right? It doesn't even matter what it is. You know, listen to political radio for like 30 seconds, right? I mean, look, look around. We live in an explosive culture with anger right there, but the problem is we're just so nice about it, right? Or, or, or we, we try to be, especially, especially if you're a Christian, right? And so maybe the temptation for us is to brush it aside, right? The, we put it under the right, because we're all just supposed to be nice, right? We're supposed to love each other and hold hands and, and sing songs. And inwardly, so often, many of us, Are seething, but we keep pushing it down, pushing it, pushing it away. Because that's not who we want to be. It's not how we want to respond. Listen. Living in a society like ours, in a world as broken as ours, there is a really good chance that you are angrier than you think you are. Which means we need this psalm way more than we think we do. I need it. Now, if you're a guest this morning, I bet you're super glad you came to church. Welcome to, welcome to Christ Community. Um, and maybe you're thinking, what, what? Where, where am I? Like, what kind of place is this? And uh, why, why would we talk about this psalm? Of all, there's 150, right? Why, why this one? And, and I, I get that, right? Seriously, why, why are we? And, and yet, you see, we, we take this book very seriously, which means that even, even when we don't like it or understand it, even, frankly, when it just kind of makes us sick to our stomach or offends us, we have to reckon with it. And you see, we've been in the Psalms these last couple of months together. This is the last one we're looking at today. But we, we've been here trying to learn from this ancient prayer book, how, how do we pray? How do we connect with this God? And we've done so looking at a variety of emotions that we all inevitably experience, right? We've talked about, you know, last week was joy and, and delight when we, we overflow with adoration uh, to God, right? And how do we connect then? We've talked about when, when life is just hard and you, you, feel, you feel God's absence and you, you long for something more. You experience the brutality around you and within you and you weep to him. And we've talked about how we handle our, our shame, right? When we know we've done something wrong before holy God, how do, we, how do we bring that in confession to him? Well, another emotion we feel so deeply is our anger. And we're, we're not alone. And so the psalmist can help us. God wants your anger. And he's going to do better things with your anger than, than you will, than, than I will. And so three things this morning as we go through this psalm, three, three things for us to keep in mind. First, 1st you've got to own your anger. Second, we give our anger to God. And third, the one that almost sounds like a joke, right? Seems so unrealistic. This is the miracle one. Um, turn your anger into praise. But we can't do any of that without God's help. So let, let me just pray and, and ask for it now um, on our behalf. Father, these are are hard words for us. Especially us us here who who tend to be fairly isolated from some of the the worst evil in our world. Or at least feel like we are. God, I I pray that you would help us to see our own anger issues, whether it's we we get angry at the, the wrong things or we're not angry enough at the right things in a world that's so broken. God, would you convict us, challenge us, and help us to see Um, that you are the place we give those those feelings, That, that you are the place where we direct even our most ugly thoughts, that you can take them, you can handle them, and that you will do better things with them than we will. Give us the faith to believe that. Give us understanding and clarity, now we pray. Amen. First, own your anger. Now, I realize I probably lost some of you already, right? Uh, because some of us, we're, we're raised, and this is such a part of our, our sort of cultural, cultural milieu, right? Is that we don't show our anger, right? Anger's wrong, isn't it? That's part of, that's the problem. We'd, we don't want anger in us, and so we try to hide it, we push it aside, we, we ignore it, and we just, we want to be nice, and we, we all just, just want to get along. I get that, but denying your anger helps no one. And truth be told, in a world as broken as ours, there is stuff that should make us angry. Anger is not a sin. Now, if it's, if it's not given to God, it can, it can very easily lead to sin. And some of us, I mean, some of us here, we're just angry people, right? Uh, for some of us, that's a big sin issue in our lives. And, and my guess is you know who you are. You're just, you're an angry person. If you don't know it, right, the people closest to you certainly do. That's, that's not the kind of anger that we're, we're talking about here. But in itself, anger as an emotion can be healthy, right? Can be, can be normal. Both the psalmist in the Old Testament, as well as the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, both, both say, same, same words, be angry and do not sin. Anger isn't necessarily the problem. It's what we do with our anger. And the psalmist, regardless of how little we like his words, the psalmist has every right to be angry. Look, look at verse one. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to have it open to Psalm 137 so you can kind of follow along. Otherwise, we'll have uh, some of it up here as well. But listen again to verse one. He says, By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. You see this This psalm was written during the period of exile, which means it was one of the terrible times in in Israel's history when they had been uh, destroyed, right? Captured, imprisoned, enslaved by the the wicked Babylonians. They'd swept down from the north, taken them with them, raised everything to the ground, and now they're they're exiles. They don't don't belong there anymore with them. And so the psalmist, I mean, the one writing these, these difficult words, He had seen with his own eyes. I mean, not just heard stories about, okay? Not just witnessed censored news clips. He had seen his city destroyed. His home torn to the ground. He, he had seen the, the temple of God, right—the place where God's presence dwelled, the most holy place for them. Seen it completely razed, completely demolished. He had had witnessed the death of the murder, senselessly, of, of his friends, of relatives, people around him that, that he knew. Watched them die. He he likely stood in chains, powerless to do anything, as his young daughters and young sons were gang-raped by brutal soldiers. I won't, even, I won't even tell you what they did with pregnant women. This is what he saw. And, and it's, not, it's, it's, it's not metaphor, right? We sometimes like to you know, explain things away. It's not, he literally saw babies and children dashed against the rocks like it was some game. This is what conquering powers did back then. I mean, there's no Geneva con- Convention. This, was, this is normal, acceptable practice. I mean, there's lots of historical record around this psalm to show. That is exactly what they did. They came in and they destroyed, and the Babylonians, frankly, they were good at it. And they enjoyed it. So when the psalmist sits by the waters of Babylon remembering Zion, that's, that's Jerusalem, weeping, He's got something to weep about, something that angers him. I mean, we can't even imagine, right, can we? I mean, I I don't even have a category for witnessing something so atrocious, but can you just, I mean, try to get those images out of your head, right? Try to to pick up life and, and move on and live as if none of that, I mean. And so he cries out, God, would you do to them what they did to us? Sing us a song, Jew. That's verse three. For there are captors required of us songs and our tormentors' mirth, our celebration, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Right, sing us, sing us one of your pretty psalms, right? The ones we've been, we've been talking about, going through. Sing, sing us one of those. Sing us, sing us about how Jerusalem will last forever. You know, the city we destroyed. Sing, sing that one. We love that one. Sing about how your God will protect you. Sing about how your God, the one whose temple we destroyed, about how he is the only God. Sing that, dance for us, amuse us. I mean, I, I can't help but think, right, of, of, of the, the Jewish people in Nazi prison camps forced to perform for their captors. Or, or for African slaves, right, forced to sing and dance for their masters. People, we may not like what he says, Fair enough. And, and we, we certainly may not like that it's in our book. But don't you dare blame him for being angry. He should be angry. And you know, we, we see in Scripture that, that God is also angry at this, this kind of violence, this kind of oppression. That, that even in the New Testament, we see Jesus angry. You see, God loves his world too much just, to just sit on his hands, to ignore it, to, to be passive about any of it. He's outraged by injustice, incensed by violence and oppression and sin, and he promises to judge the wicked. And then there's us. I right, just so comfortable... And insulated. I mean, praise God, right? We, we, we don't experience this. And yet the reality is these same kinds of atrocities happen all over the place in the world today. I mean, you might, you might hear this and say, well, oh, man, I'm sure glad we don't live in that world. Well, we, we do live in that world. We just live in a very, very narrow part of it where there is safety and there's, there's freedom and we don't, we don't have to... This, this stuff is happening today. And so the reality is, I'm convinced, especially studying this, everyone, every one of us, I think, don't be too offended when I say this, I think every one of us has an anger problem. There's just different kinds of anger problems. So which, which one is You? Because you might, you might be like me, and your anger tends to be essentially petty. That's, that's me, right? So I get angry at stupid stuff, right? When people disappoint me or fail my expectations or, or don't live up to what I think or make me wait or, or whatever, right? All this ridiculous stuff. And so most of my anger ends up directed towards the people I love the most, right? I mean, towards my, my kids or to my wife or the idiot in traffic who I would actually murder if given the chance, right? I mean, you, you, you feel it's... So, so on the one hand, right, many of us get, get mad at the wrong things, Right? Well, at the same time, and I'm guilty of this one as well, we fail to get angry at the right things. We, we feel like, well, it's, it doesn't affect me or my kids or my people. And I am so indifferent to so much suffering. I mean, you don't have to look far to find it, right? Right? I mean, the very fact that our, our, own, our own city's schools, KCMO, are unaccredited. Just imagine what that is going to do to an entire generation, generations of the urban poor. In, in our city, that happens. <coughs> or, or my own calloused forgetfulness of the unborn. And... Uh, and the stuff that's been in the news lately about, about Planned Parenthood. Or you turn to the news, right, and you, you see the refugees, right, forced out of their homes while terrorists get stronger. You hear about Christians today being, being imprisoned and even, even murdered because of their faith in Jesus. Or stories of racism, human trafficking, genocide, child abuse, oppression of, of women or orphans or immigrants. Listen, if you don't get mad, that means you must not love the good very much. I mean, the more, the more we love what ought to be, the more we weep over what is. Get angry sometimes. Now, I realize even saying this, some of you, it's not, it's not just those people out there who've experienced terrible things. Some, some of you, you've, you've experienced your share of deep hardship. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe you've been, been betrayed by the people who are supposed to care for you or love you. Maybe, maybe you feel it in a very intimate way, and it is so easy to push it aside, to push it down, to try to, to, try to forget, right? And, and so often we feel the bitterness and the unforgiveness just stewing there until it destroys us. God wants your anger. The psalmist is right to be angry. And he owns it, and and here's here's the key. Look where he takes it. I mean, does, does he go looking for a sword? Right? Does he cry out, "God, would you give me vengeance? Would you raise up my people strong enough so that we can go and 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 take back what was stolen from us?" That's not his prayer. I mean, he doesn't hide it. He doesn't suppress it. He certainly doesn't make it all nice and pretty like, frankly, we wish he would have, right, as he's writing in our Bibles. But he does give his anger to God. I mean, this is a prayer, after all. And he knows that God is gonna do better things with his anger than he is. I mean, look at, look at verse seven again. Verse seven, he says, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. You see, to ask God to remember is to ask God to take action. God, would you do something about it? God, would you remember the believers in in our world who are being persecuted? Would you remember them? God, would you remember the poor that we forget about? God, would you, would you remember that I, I was abused, that I was, I was hurt or, or experienced oppression? God, would you remember and would you actually do something about it? I mean, the, the prophets, they, they said judgment would come on Babylon for their sins. They, they are doomed. And the psalmist knows that, knows that God has promised to repay them for what they've done. I mean, Jeremiah, for example, uh, he's one of those prophets, and he, he witnessed the same terrible things, these, these atrocities there in, in Jerusalem. And he wrote out what the Lord had said. I will repay, God says, I will repay Babylon before your very eyes for the evil they have done in Zion, declares the Lord. God, do what you've promised to do. And history tells us that it was the Assyrians, not, not the Israelites, the Assyrians who rose up and destroyed Babylon, who demolished them. But the point is, the psalmist gives it to God to figure out. He doesn't say, let me, let me take it, make it right. right. He knows he can't make it right. But he expects God to do so. I mean, think about even, even the psalm, right? He, he, he's saying to God, what happened to me is evil. Which, which is an important piece, right? To actually acknowledge that, that terrible atrocities, evil things happen in our lives, in our world. He doesn't, he doesn't gloss over it. It wasn't that big of, he knows. He's, terrible things have happened. I'm angry about them. But God will be the judge, not me. Think about the kind of faith that that would require. Because I want vengeance, And I think while we may be offended by these words and really not like that, they're in our Bibles, we like stories of vengeance, don't we? It's like a whole movie genre, isn't it? Right, something terrible happens, somebody else kicks butt and then we, we love it and everything's happy and fine. Order is, is restored. We love stories of vengeance. I want vengeance. But the psalmist asks for Judgment. The difference is subtle, granted. And we're still not necessarily going to like what the psalmist says, but ask yourself in your anger, do I want vengeance or do I want judgment? Because vengeance keeps the anger, right? Judgment gives it to God. God. Vengeance is about me. Vengeance says I'm good enough, I'm righteous enough to be the the judge, jury, or jury, and executioner in the situation. Vengeance believes that the only choice is for, for me to take action. But judgment waits on God. Judgment acknowledges that no matter how how much I've been wronged, I don't have all the answers. I don't understand all the complexities and I certainly don't know God's timing. And listen, it's not that we don't work for justice in those situations or protect the vulnerable. Of course we do. And there are times that, that we who have power ought to stand up for the vulnerable, for the weak. Absolutely we should. And yet even, even so, when we do that, we acknowledge that we are not the judge. And that, that is the only way to break the cycle of violence. Otherwise, it just keeps going around, doesn't it? Miroslav Wolf, for example, who's got a whole lot more credibility than I do to talk about these things. Uh, He's a a Croatian Christian uh, professor at Yale Divinity School. Uh, He's been deeply influential in working for reconciliation in post-genocide Bosnia. If you remember that from, whatever, 15 so years ago. and he compellingly argues that belief in a God who will judge is the only safeguard against retaliation. I mean, because just, just think about that for a moment, right? Again, we, we, we hear, we can't enter into that story. We, don't, we can't imagine living in a place in which that sort of thing is, is normal and having witnessed everything. Think of all the memories in Bosnia for those that lived them. Or I think about Rwanda. We, we as a church here in Aletha are, are deeply tethered to the church uh, in Rwanda, a strong partnership and awesome things happening there for the gospel in Rwanda. But just think about this it was only 21 years ago that somewhere around a million Tutsis were murdered by the Hutus. 21 years ago. That means they're orphans. Right, the ones who saw their mom and dad and sister and brother and friend and neighbor murdered with machetes, who went, they're now adults. And how can any of us here, right, in our, in our place of comfort, how can we tell them not to retaliate? right? How can we tell them not to get stronger, not to make weapons, not to take back everything that was taken from them? How can we tell them that unless there is a God who will make it right? I mean, friends, this is, this is why anger, real anger, legitimate anger requires so much faith. I mean, if there is not a God to make it right, then what hope do we possibly have? If there's no God to give it to, then you will take matters into your own hands. And the cycle of violence will never end. And while we we long for mercy, right, because we also need mercy, we long for grace and forgiveness because we also need grace and forgiveness. And what we ultimately hope, right, for all people is repentance and reconciliation. And yet, regardless, we trust God as the ultimate judge whose kingdom will come, just as we sang, right? Build your kingdom here, make it right. And our God will make it right either through his wrath justly poured out on sinners or on his wrath graciously poured out on Jesus for all who trust in him. But he will make it right. And so he can can handle your anger. Give it to him. Which brings us to the last thing. One that does kind of feel a little bit like a joke, right? Just seems so far out of reach. How is it even possible? So own your anger, give your anger to God, and, and turn your anger to praise. I mean, it's not even where the psalm ends, right? You, you notice that. I'm not trying to fool you here. The psalm ends with anger, right? Uh, given to God, yes, but, but anger nonetheless. And yet, this isn't where the whole book of Psalms ends. And it's certainly not where our Bibles ends. And for you and I who've experienced this, who've even gotten a glimpse of these things, we long for our anger to give birth to praise, don't we? We long for something good, something beautiful to come out of the terrible. And when we give it to him, that actually becomes possible. Not easy, not instant. Frankly, it may take a lifetime, and for some of us, it absolutely will take a lifetime. And yet even so, let me give us just two practical tips to help us here, to guide us in this. First, first, let the scriptures help you. Which that as well may sound a little bit ridiculous, right? After hearing these words are in the Bible, you might, you might feel like you're done with the Bible, right? I get that. There are, there are those who, who read these verses and, and throw their Bibles away. Think about that, though. I mean, how how can we here in our position of safety and power, of relative comfort and ease, I mean, we who have no idea what it's like to actually watch your own children dashed against the rocks? How can we condemn the psalmist for having such thoughts? I mean, he, he doesn't he doesn't act on them, right? And I'm not I'm not trying to justify it, okay? And and yet. Are you telling me in those same circumstances you wouldn't be consumed with hate? That you you wouldn't be seething with rage? I'm not justifying what he's he's doing there, but we at least have to admit that we're not that different. Given the same circumstance, we'd probably respond very similar, maybe even worse, quite honestly. And besides, if you think about it, how else would you counsel the psalmist to respond? Having experienced this, what should he do? Forgive and forget. Like love love your enemies, right? Mercy, humility, those things that we all we all like so much. Yeah, those those are good things. But you've you've got to, to realize that those virtues originated as exclusively Christian virtues. I mean, that's, that's how they, they came into the world. Christianity first introduced those concepts. I mean, that's, that's kind of the great irony here. You and I and all of Western culture, whether we realize it or not, we have been so deeply influenced by this book. I mean, prior to Christianity and, and in many parts of our world today where, where Christianity hasn't had an influence, there is no value on human life. Revenge and brutality are the norm. It's acceptable practice. And so it is only we who have been shaped by the values in this book, whether we realize it or not, who are tempted to throw out this book because of a few words we don't like in this book. The reality is the Bible is never okay with us taking personal vengeance. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. It's not okay with that. And while you and I, we could definitely, we could spend the rest of our time together this morning debating whether or not it was right or wrong for him to feel this way. Whether it was right or wrong for him to pray such a graphic, terrible prayer. We could debate that. But I'm convinced that's not the point of what's happening here. The, the point isn't whether or not you should feel this way. The point is you will feel this way. So what are you going to do with it? I mean, if, if you open your eyes, right, and see the terrible things that ha- have happened, or, or if you've been subjected to any level of oppression, if you love the good and recognize the evil, rage will creep into your soul and you're going to do something with your rage. You can retaliate, you can stuff it down until it destroys you or you can give it to God like the psalmist. And so right, right or wrong, right? This, this is what we do with it. I mean, you may, you may, not, you may not like the Bible. I, I, I understand that, right? And you may not like these words in the Bible. And I, believe me, I understand that. Um, I have to do this three times this morning. Um, I understand that. And yet you've got to appreciate its honesty. At least it speaks frankly about the human experience. It doesn't, it doesn't try to hide it from us. It doesn't try to make it all okay. It knows that sometimes this is the way we feel. And I love, I love what Eugene Peterson says, writing, uh, reflecting on this psalm. He writes, Our hate needs to be prayed, not suppressed. It is better to pray badly than not to pray at all. Friends, we have an anger problem. Talk to him about it. God wants your anger, and he's going to do better things with it than you will. Finally, finally, last thing here. If you want to turn your anger into praise, yes, let the scriptures help you. But also, we can't hide from injustice. And that, that's the temptation. That's what we want to do. We want to close our eyes to things that are happening in the world around us. We want to insulate our, ourselves and our family. We want to hunker down and protect, protect ourselves so that we don't have to deal with this. And yet that, that's not the solution. It can't be the solution. Instead, instead, we need to look at the greatest injustice. Because our God actually did come to Zion. Just, just as the psalmist had, had, had pleaded for in that moment. And yet when he got there, he also was mocked and laughed at. Hated and despised by the very people he came to rescue. Jesus, the most innocent person who ever lived, more innocent even than the most innocent child. I mean, this is the greatest injustice. Jesus was dashed on the rocks, beaten, whipped, crucified. That that our, our God actually allowed his own son to become the curse for us. The curse that the Babylonians deserve, the curse that you and I deserve for our rebellion and our rejection of him. And Jesus gladly took our place. Beaten and bloodied for us. For the Israelite. And for the Babylonian and for me. Because I'm not innocent in any of this. I think you probably know that, right? I get angry at the wrong things all the time. And I I respond in ways that are just disastrous sometimes. Sometimes. Or, or I just kind of turn a blind eye and I'm either complicit or completely unfeeling in so much of the injustice across our world. People, I, I am part of the problem. And yet Jesus, as he hung on the cross, as curses were being hurled up at him, he offered forgiveness even to those who were, who were cursing him. Forgiveness. And if we can receive mercy, we can extend mercy. And we can, he can turn our anger to praise. And I realize you might not be there now, especially if you've you've seen or experienced terrible things, but if you're a follower of Jesus, one day you will be. And I love this about, about the Re- book of Revelation, right? This, this vision of the end of all things. And, and John, he's the one seeing this. And, and John hears this song coming up out of, out of heaven, and it's, it's us, uh, we who are redeemed, who are singing praises to our God. And, and listen, listen to what we sing. We sing. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. And he will have taken care of all that is evil and corrupt. And he will will have made it right once more, not just punish the wicked or wickedness, but actually redeemed it, actually redeemed your pain and the pain of the oppressed to begin the long, hard process of making something beautiful. He will turn your anger to praise, mine and yours, and we will delight in him forever. But in the meantime, let him have it. He's gonna do better things with it than you will. Let's pray. God, we come before you humbled by your word. God, I I pray that even though We will continue to wrestle with these words, how graphic and explicit and cruel they are. And yet, God, I'm thankful that they're there. I'm thankful that you have given us words to express this emotion that we often feel so deeply. And God, I know in my own life the ways that I abuse that, misuse it. God, I pray that we would trust you enough to give it to you whatever we've seen or heard about, whatever uh, we've experienced personally, God, that we would trust you with our anger, knowing that you will do whatever is right. And that we pray that that would be redemption and and reconciliation, repentance in in that person or those people's lives. But if not, Lord Jesus, we trust you to be the judge. Thank you that that's not our role. And so help us. God, we cannot do these things without you. And we pray that even now in these moments, you would begin the process of taking our anger and making it into something beautiful. We trust you with that, Lord Jesus. Amen.